Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined as always by Dave and Becky. On today's show, we're so excited to welcome in Arthur Staple from The Athletic. Arthur made a big splash last week with his brilliantly reported Vitaly Kravtsov story, which we dive deeper into during our conversation. We also had a chance to ask Arthur about his new gig at The Athletic, got his thoughts on the Ranger Islander rivalry. It was a really great conversation. But first, guys, let's recap the last week of Rangers hockey. Uh, before we talk about uh, Monday night's loss to Calgary, uh, the Rangers come on, came off of a, a 4-0 road trip, the uh, Canada-Nashville-Canada swing, which is a, apparently a thing now in the NHL. The Rangers did two games in Canada, a game in Nashville, a game back in Canada. They came out of it 4-0, even though there were some nervy moments throughout the four games. But, you know, just, you know, what were our overall, I think I want to talk about just our overall impressions of the team off of that road trip, uh, kind of good, bad, and other. Um, Becky, I'll start with you. You know, wh- what do you? What were your kind of uh, initial takeaways from the the road trip? So, I mean, overall, they came up with four wins, and I am not going to complain about that. <laughs> um, I think that you know, obviously, some of the hockey they played was kind of subpar, but it's better to steal wins than to play close and lose those games, you know, or like to play poorly and lose the same games that you win. Um, I think that it's a very young team, both in age and with their coach and with the new systems. And I think that they're playing without two of their top six. Um, I will say I thought specifically, I thought the Toronto game was like a pile of garbage (laughs) for the whole game. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, the last overtime, you know, like the last, say the last five minutes, but truly it was overtime. And that was legitimately some of the best hockey I have seen in years. I'm, I was so pumped. I was so excited. I love three on three so much. I want them to play three on three forever. I hate the shootout. Get rid of the shootout. Keep three on three until someone scores. Um, but yeah, you know, like, hey, there's, there's some things that could probably be better, but they came away with four wins and that's a really great place to start your season. Dave, how do you yeah. how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I that overtime was just nuts, absolutely nuts, and I that was the most fun I've had watching the Rangers in quite some time. Uh, but we're talking about this four and zero road trip as if the Rangers went zero and four, and it's a little bit infuriating when you see that. Oh yeah, the Rangers are not doing all the right things. Well, of course they're not doing the right things. They're missing two top six forwards. They're Learning a new coach, a new system, and they had roster turnover. So, again, our message has always been take the points and the process should eventually work itself out. And you can't complain about getting eight points in four games. You're going to have to have your goalie steal games. And Shesterkin has been unbelievable, especially during that road trip. He's There's already talk of him statistically speaking, being beyond Hank's prime to start his career, which to me is just, I don't even know if that's possible for somebody to be better than Hank, and we might be seeing it. I know uh, Steve Valiquet broke down some of the technical push-offs and how he gets himself in position 
in an even more efficient manner than Hank. And if that happens, we can talk about process all we want, but Shesterkin's going to steal games. And how can you complain about going 4-0 when you're missing a third of your top six? I mean, there's not much else to well, it. I'm thrilled yeah. about it. And let's spend some time on Igor just a little bit because he really has been incredible. And we did talk about, you know, on last week's show a little bit about the Toronto game we recorded right after that game ended. He was incredible in that game. Um, he was also very good in the in the Nashville game, although the Nashville game was uh, the Rangers played pretty even in that game in the end. I think Shesterkin made some eye popping saves early on, but the Rangers settled in and played a, a really solid game. I think the other thing that I've noticed, you know, with the goalie. Uh, back there playing the way he is, that gives your team a ton of confidence. I mean, you know, and, and you'll hear us talk about this with with Arthur Staple later in the show, and he was talking about the Islanders. But um, when you win a lot of close games, especially early in the season, that builds confidence. And, I mean, I'm sure you both remember, you know, the stat, right? The Rangers had not lost a third-period lead. And, I, I mean, it was a ridiculous stretch of, of time, right? It was over the course of three or four years, I maybe more, more, that they had— yeah, it was more, right? I I don't remember the stat itself. Do you remember it, Dave? I don't remember it offhand, but I think that stat dated back to the 2012 season. And when mm-hmm. all the... Oh, no, it went back further. I think it went back to... And I can't believe I'm going to bring this up. Back to the Ole Jokinen shootout miss in 2010. And then <laughs> I think it started in the 2010-2011 season, you know, following that Ole Jokinen disaster. And it, it just continued forever. Yeah, and, and, and that is obviously, look, they had Henrik Lundqvist back there. A lot of that was single-handed heroics by him. But the Rangers were good for a very long time until sort of the latter half of the Vigneault era at protecting one-goal leads late. And then they forgot how to do it. And they really never learned how to do it under David Quinn. I'm encouraged by the fact that that looks like something they are starting to do better under Gallant there's a and 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 frankly yes the goalie's there but I think you also chalk that up to maturity you talk it up to you chalk it up to maybe a little bit of a simpler style of play especially late in games now it's not that they're sitting back and only playing defense and turtling as as you know we like to call it but they are still you know creating chances and spending time in the offensive zone but they're doing it in a smart way that's not leaving them exposed to give up on odd man Russians I mean you know I've been really encouraged by their play late in games but and their ability to actually you know come back in the third period something we hadn't seen under the david quinn era absolutely the ottawa game was incredible for that you know they got three goals in the last five five and a half minutes and you know yes again you could look at that and say hey what a great escape but you know look they were down two nothing 40 seconds into the third period and then ottawa didn't get another chance uh the rest of the period basically the rangers you know owned the puck took it to them, got three goals, and got out of there with a win. Um, You know, you mentioned some of the issues, Dave. You mentioned roster turnover. You know, one of the big things that that is is certainly still a work in progress is the third pair, right? Obviously, Patrick Nemeth, free agent signing with, you know, very good underlying numbers, big body, veteran, left-handed defenseman, seemed like the perfect complement for Nils Lundqvist. Obviously, Nemeth is Swedish, so is Lundqvist. So that seemed like a perfect fit, and... So far, that pair is really, really struggling. Uh, and, and you know, I know you wrote a post uh, a couple of days ago, Dave, uh, you know, about what some of the Rangers' options here. I mean, what do you do? Because I got to a point last night where I was, 
I think I'm coming out of my stupor now, suggesting that maybe let's just give Tenorti a game or two. But look, Tenorti's he's crap. We know he's he's just garbage, and he's really not here to do anything <laughs> but punch people in the games where there are, you know, threatening players on the other side. So, look, I mean, the Rangers' options are are limited, but but how do you fix the third pair? Because it has been really really bad. Well, for starters, you remind Nemeth which team he's playing for. You know, I think he thought he was on Calgary. <laughs> on well, yeah, if you're listening to this. on Wednesday, on Monday. Uh, So when we're recording this, this was yesterday. That was just... He he will figure it out. He's too much of a veteran to to not figure it out. There's adjustments from Lundqvist that he's playing on North American ice for the first time. Nemeth is playing and managing that piece mentoring him, adjusting to a new coach, adjusting to a new team, adjusting to a new system. There's a lot there, but if we're looking for a quick fix, and nobody's going to like this, you break up one of the best pairs in hockey right now, you break up Lindgren and Fox, and you spread out the wealth for a little bit more balance to your pairs. But I don't know if I would want to do that. Lindgren Fox is one of the best pairs in hockey right now. And Fox is, sorry, Lindgren has proven he can do it without Fox. And Fox just won a Norris. So unless you're willing to do that, you're kind of stuck. Unless you want Nemeth Truba, which I'm pretty sure people's brains are going to explode when they think about that. <laughs> Becky, where are you? Are you a uh, team breakup Lingren and Fox, or do you keep them together and just ride out the struggles of uh, you know Nemeth and Nils Lundqvist? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm team, like, get a new 7D, <laughs> get rid of Libor Hayek, just get rid of him already and, and Tenorti yeah well obviously yeah Tenorti without goes without saying but like you know this I, I I like for the life of me and like I think everyone's probably pretty aware that I'm I'm mostly pretty easygoing and I'm easy on the Rangers this early in the season but like the hike thing is the thing that makes me want to pull my hair out of my head because why just why is he still there you know, if you had like a slightly competent seventh D, then then we're not talking about this because you could play someone slightly competent for a couple of games. You maybe let you bench either Nemeth, maybe you even let Lundquist sit for a game or two just to take it all in holistically. It's it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily you're being benched because you're not good. It's you're a rookie. You're new. This is your first time doing this, and you've got skills and you've got talent, and you just need to take a look at it from a different angle. Um, but I don't I'd like what do I what am I trying to say, right? Like I'm not saying that we necessarily go out and our number one need on the market right now is like a replacement level defenseman. I, I just I don't know. I'm I'm I don't think that splitting up Lindgren and, and and Fox is gonna be the answer. I just I don't think it is. But I don't know what the answer is, so but it does speak to overall roster construction, right? You yeah, know, not oh, yeah. having a good seventh defenseman is a hole in a roster. Now, the roster yeah. has some other holes. We can talk about those uh, if we want to. Obviously, there's some wing depth issues. There's maybe even a center issue long term. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, no, that, I mean, that's a really good point. I, I, I think they'll probably ride it out. Gerard Gallant seems like a very patient coach which I appreciate, you know, he's, he's kind of hard on the players in, in spots, but he generally lets them play through their mistakes. I think they appreciate that. So, you know, we'll see how that turns out. Um, I want to turn our attention to Monday night's uh, five to one loss against the Calgary flames. Yes. They kind of ran up the score late. It was a relatively close game. Um, but, you know, look, the, the aftermath of that game was pretty interesting to say the least. Um, 
a lot of discussion in the aftermath of the game turned to the wider problems of the Rangers. And I just had a hard time squaring that with the reality of the situation, which was, you know, look, they came off a long road trip. They didn't have legs in the first period, played a very good second period, and were right in the game in the third. Um, the two shifts after they scored the, their their goal to, to cut the lead to 2-1 were horrible. They gave up a third goal to Calgary, and that was kind of that. So, um, you know, I, to me, not a disaster of a loss, just kind of your standard early season loss to a non-division, non-conference opponent. You know, they happen. But a lot of people were really upset after this game. And um, it seems like a lot of losses this year turn into kind of a sky is falling narrative among the fan base. Um, you know, I, I don't know, Dave, if you have any kind of thoughts on that. Uh, you know, t- to me, we've we've preached and will continue to preach patience, especially early in the season. But um, why do you think this fan base is entering into those discussions so uh, you know, so readily and so quickly after, you know, kind of standard losses like we, we saw to Calgary the other night. I mean, there's PTSD involved here. So we've had AV and David Quinn kind of not have much process in their games. And the Rangers haven't had consistent process. And we're talking puck possession process. And... You see with the 4-0 road trip kind of tying into this 5-1 loss where Shesterkin didn't stand on his head. But it still is a little bit strange to me that people are jumping like jumping ship right now when we saw what happened in 2013-2014 when the Rangers were on the cusp of a of great things with a new coach and they lost two games 15-2. No, yeah. th- this is what happens. It's we look at the micro too much and miss the forest for the trees, and that's fine. You know, we're fans; we live in the moment. That's what we do, and all three of us are guilty of that too. If you look at our social media feeds, we have absolute overreactions to nothing events. But we have the benefit of recording something like this and realizing that hey, maybe we were kind of wrong in. In that moment, we want to bring this back to what Jack Frazier was saying on our podcast a couple weeks ago. His model now has us at 103 points and first in the Metro still. That's up from the 99-ish points that his model had initially. And that doesn't happen without finding ways to win and going 4-0 on a road trip where your goalie steals a couple of games and you just fight back. So Calgary games like that are going to happen. The sky isn't falling. And I know that it seems strange to have this, but you know, let's, again, not miss the forest for the trees. The big picture is the Rangers banked points when they were going to struggle adjusting to new processes and new systems anyway. So take the positive. And their negative will work itself out. If we're still having these conversations in November, December, and the Rangers aren't starting to trend in the right direction, then yeah, that's a cause for concern. But right now, nothing to worry about. Yeah, I mean, it almost feels like, and I I don't understand, maybe it's because we just live in a Twitter age or social media age where everything's on the internet and like whatever. And maybe it's good to hold people accountable, but I, I feel like people feel like they have to make these grandiose, like, um, statements about how they feel that the team's going to do 
so that they can look back at it and say, hey, see, like I knew this in October that the Rangers were going to be trash this year. And I pointed to this, that and the other. And like, look at me, I've got, you know, receipts or I've got clout or whatever. And I just I don't know if it just makes more sense for people to understand that you can have an idea and be wrong and still be a valid human being with valid takes. You know, it's it's not like a. A, a freaking test and if you fail it like that's it you're done um i think that i understand people having a bit of ptsd too from especially the av the late av years where it was only henrik and that was it that's all the only way that we ever won anything was because henrik lundquist stood on his head and you know we got outshot like every game a billion to one and all the chances were like a billion to one for the other team. And yet like we still stole games. And I think that that's valid. I think it's completely valid to have concerns about the team. I, I, I don't think I don't have concerns about the team right now because I feel like we're, they're too young and they're too new to this coach and you got to just let it ride and see what happens. And Dave, I agree with you. You know, I think late November, that's when I'd start saying, like, hey, I'm a little worried. Like, if it's a really bad Thanksgiving game, you know, or mm-hmm. Thanksgiving Eve against Boston or whatever, Thanksgiving Day after or whatever. Black Friday? I get that. And Yes, thank you. It's been a long day. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> then, yeah, then I get it, and I, I agree, and I think that's the point at which I would start to worry. But there's no shame in enjoying the game, understanding that maybe – parts of the game were like not great but also knowing that not every second of every game of every season is going to be great in any sport you watch even if you are like like a Warriors fan the year they won like 80 games or whatever it was you know it's there's nothing's perfect and and you can make your data say you can manipulate your data to show one bad stat in every single game and if you want to take that as a challenge please do and tag me I'm looking forward to it. And I just want to add on to that, that it's okay to adjust your takes on anything in life based off of new information provided. Just because you put something at a moment in time doesn't mean it's all of a sudden wrong five months later when the status quo has changed. That's the problem with social media is we put things out in a moment of time and eight years later, we're like, hey, you said that Vitaly Kravtsov was going to be a member of the Rangers. Well, 20 minutes after we released the podcast, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Arthur. <laughs> I mean, great points both. And, you know, first of all, just one of the things that always pops into my head is even the best hockey teams end up losing 30 games a year, right? If you look at the records, you know, the, the year the Rangers won the President's Trophy, I believe they were 51, 24, and 7. Seven of those are over to those seven are overtime losses. So they were 51 and 31, right? They still lost 31 hockey games that year, right? So, no, you know, no team is going through a three month stretch of hockey and losing like four games. I really just hope you had happen. that up on your screen and you didn't have that. Memorized. No, I'm weird. I remember that stuff, especially what is great wrong with years you? like that. This oh is, my this God. Is what I, I know. <laughs> well, this is why do I host this podcast that 300 people listen to? Um, the. Hopefully more, especially now that we've got a, such an illustrious guest on on the show later. But no, I mean, you know, the other point, one of the other things that I find ironic, frankly, about this season so far is, you know, if you look at some of the underlying metrics, 
and the guys who are producing the most chances and uh, playing the most solid defense, a lot of them are the sort of like grit guys, quote unquote, that were added, right? Or the, you know, it's the it's the fourth line that's been really good. Um, you know, the, the you know, Barkley Goodrow has had some, you know, kind of really uh, silly moments and made some kind of, you know, dumb mistakes and taken some bad penalties. But, you know, he's playing his role effectively. Dryden Hunt, Kevin Rooney's been really good. He scored a goal last night. Brian Reeves has been unexpectedly although not unexpected to me. I called that. I'll say it. Uh, very good. And it was a shame to see him get injured in the, in the, on the first shift of, of the game last night, not because I wanted to see him plant someone through the wall, but because the fourth line has been so effective. You know, look, I think if there's one thing that you um, can be concerned about, rightfully, it is the ability consistently gen- to, to consistently generate offense. Uh, and the top players have had a problem doing that. Now, again, we caveat that with the fact that Strom and Kako have missed significant time. Strom came back in the game against Calgary, played fine. Kako is due back Friday night. Um, but that does segue into, uh, you know, the first of our three fan questions for the night. Um, and I want to put this to both of you guys. We had a similar question last week, but I think we can dive into a little, little bit deeper now. Um, so here's the question. It's from at Ethan Coop. Uh, it goes, you know, does something seem off with Artemi Panarin? His, are his giveaways trending higher this year so far? It seems like, like he has not been very responsible with the puck this season. Um, I'll, I'll just start by saying, without having looked at the numbers, I think it's safe to say he's given the puck away a lot more this season than he would have through seven games or, or yeah, seven games last season or any other season he's played. He's been uncharacteristically careless. Those sort of threaded passes that he's so great at executing are not going through. He's making some really strange decisions, I think, in, in bad spots to make up for um, the mistakes he's made. So, you know, something definitely does seem off with him. I don't know if it has to do with Ryan Strom being out. Of course, Strom is back in the Calgary game. But, I mean, let's dive into the Panarin thing because, you know, look, guys, you can talk about the Vitaly Kravtsov situation, the third defense pair, the lack of a seventh defenseman, wing depth, trade market, free agency, cap space. If Artemi Panarin isn't Artemi Panarin, this team's not going anywhere. So what are your thoughts on that? So interesting enough, I'm on his just hockey reference right now. Um, at even strength, it has it's showing that through. So right, there's been seven games this year. Seven games, yeah. Um, he's got eight takeaways and seven giveaways. However, mm. that said, he has given the puck away more than he has taken the puck away. Sounds like a very strange way to say it. Um, He's given the puck away more often than he has taken the puck away in all but two seasons that he's played. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably because he is just like he's just an offensive player. Like, I I hate to say that. And I don't want to say I'm not going to criticize him. It's like it's not a two way player. Like, he's an elite scorer and I love him and he should be on my team forever. So, you know. But that said, that's through – So okay, so I'm going to do some rough math right now. So this is through seven games. Last year, through 42 games. So let's do seven times six, right? Okay. Um, he, he has many more giveaways. He's trending for many more giveaways this year than last year. Right. If well, and that could that makes sense. And that uh, yeah, about. <laughs> no, but that's – and that could – and look, that could be a product of two things, right? One – he has the puck a lot, so that means you have more opportunities to give it away. A guy like Keith Yandel 
almost always leads the league in giveaways, but he was, he is a, you know, one of the premier, especially in his prime, was one of the premier puck-moving defensemen. He had the puck all the time. Panarin kind of falls into that camp. The other thing is, could be adjustments to the system or a lack of comfort with a sort of revolving door of line mates, right? He's been used to Strom, especially for his entire tenure with the Rangers, and obviously Jesper Faust initially, and then a lot of Colin Blackwell last year. But, you know, all right, so we've established that the giveaways are, are high, um, but Dave, are you seeing anything beyond just that in his game that looks different to you? Is is there a skating element to this? Is there a positioning element to this? I mean, you mentioned where he's playing on the power play, not really germane to, you know, the uh, the turnover discussion. But what what else is up with Panarin to your eye? I'm actually happy that you guys went into the even strength and Becky went into the giveaway conversation because I wanted to focus almost entirely on power play. And this is going in the patreon post that goes up if you're listening to this on wednesday 10 a.m wednesday just a shameless plug two bucks a month gets you you know these weekly seven thoughts posts and this time it's entirely on the panera and on the power play and it's the big difference is last year he was in the ovechkin spot this year he's not he's on the other wing which naturally he's not setting up he's not there for one-timers and the big, there are two big things that I'm noticing. It and last year, he had 77 shot attempts from the Ovechkin spot. 35 got through and were on net. 23 blocked, 19 missed. That's a shot through rate of 45 percent. This year, he only has 11 shot attempts from the other side. Only two have gone through, so he's taking fewer shots. Mm-hmm. And his shot through rate is cut by a third, more than a third. And that's a product of needing more time to accept a pass and get it on net, which means the, def- the penalty kill has more time to get over and get in the shooting lane, and the goalie has more time to get over. And that extra half a second means he's trying to place his shot more. Thus, he's missing the net or he's getting it into a defenseman. And until... That resolves itself. We're not going to see the Artemi Panarin on the power play that we're used to. And it seems odd that an $11 million elite level right winger can't play on the other side on the power play. But that's what we're seeing so far. Maybe that's because Strom isn't there. Well, right. And that begs the question as well. You know, the other guy who normally occupies the Ovechkin spot, as you called it, is Mika Zibanejad. And... Do you explore taking one of those guys off the top power play unit? Sounds crazy, and it's worked in the past. So you'd figure a guy like Gerard Gallant and his sort of veteran assistant coaching staff would figure it out. But, you know, if both those guys are going to thrive in that spot, then, you know, what's the solution there? I don't know. That's a question that I address in the post if you want to sign up for the Patreon. Ah, (laughs) look at that. Really good sort of tie-ins and synthesis here on the – on the live from the blue seats podcast linking back to the blog. No, I mean, look, I think, look, Panarin bears watching. I think Alexi Lafreniere also bears watching, you know, he actually got called out by Gallant, not in an obnoxious way, but he kind of just said at the end of one of his answers in his press conference on Monday night, you know, we need more from Laffy. And then Lafreniere got in front of the media on Tuesday and said, absolutely. I, I didn't play well and I need to, to be better. Um, so, Great to hear a young player acknowledge that, uh, and 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 we'll see, you know, uh, kind of how that develops. But, you know, overall, I think 
you know, as we said leading into this, the concern is offensive, you know, chance generation. They just are not. And they really, this goes back to last year as well. Uh, they are not consistently generating offense at five on five. The power plays actually had a decent amount of chances. They've hit a lot of posts. They've missed some, you know, open nets. Goalies have made great saves. I do think the power play will work itself out, but you need to generate more offense five on five than they have to, you know, at the start of the season. So definitely something we you know, we're watching over the next few weeks. Um, next question comes from at harsh underscore voice. Uh, great, great Twitter handle. Do any of you see any similarities between how this season started and AV's 13-14 season starts? So we did kind of cover this, but I do want to dig into it. Is this just a team that's figuring out how Gallant wants them to play? Or is this a young team just sort of continuing their natural upward growth? Or is it maybe a combination of the two? So that's a really great question. Um, Becky, I'll let you have a stab at that first. Do you see the same things as 13-14? Or are you seeing more of the sort of young team thing play out here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a really valid um, thing to point out. And I think we kind of discussed it, actually. I want to say it was last week um, in passing. But I do I do see some similarities. Like, hey, listen, when you have a new, a new coach, you have to get used to the system a little bit. It could be a bit of a cluster. I think it's different because, right, 13, 14 obviously was off to kind of like the opposite start. Like, they had a really bad road trip. Um, Mm -hmm. They did have the West Coast road trip, though, which is notoriously difficult. So, you know, and we didn't play such tough teams on this road trip, though Toronto should be good. But whatever. That's another story for another day. (laughs) We'll Uh, dedicate an entire podcast to the Leafs at some point this year. I think just, you know, I think we have to do it. (laughs) Well, I think Dave's going to be on a Leafs pod anyway. He sure is. He could take care of it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to be on the Steve Dangle show this actually big time you, yeah so this actually records this podcast releases on wednesday i'm recording that day at 11 30 ish it's about the chris Drew, the rangers have a chris drury problem post that i wrote that apparently got major legs across a lot of nhl feeds uh, yeah. Keith Olbermann too. He he read it, so I, we want him to come on the <laughs> pod and give his two pod. cents. I've on, been Keith. trying. I've been go- I've been going full Andy <laughs> Dufresne to get him on the pod every day, tweeting at him. You know what? I, Andy Dufresne took three years to get them to get more money for a prison <laughs> library. So three years, uh, I, I got three years of time. All right. <laughs> but yeah, just to go back to it, you know, hey, I yeah, sure, there are some similarities. New coach, new system. I uh, kind of blacked out like the Quinn first year, so I don't really remember <laughs> if it looked anything like this. But I think, uh, you know, AV, and as much as I've grown to dislike AV, he is legitimate, I think, a tenured NHL head coach where Quinn was not and Gallant is. So, sure. Yeah, let's say, let's say, yeah, I see a few similarities and hopefully we see the same outcome, except, you know, winning the Stanley Cup instead of and not. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's hope it ends with a win, please, because I don't know if I could take another one of those 13, 14 runs and not have that end with me drowning my sorrows in a bottle of scotch. I'm too old now. I couldn't I hang. I cannot hang. I so. can't do it anymore. Oh, I can't even do the... Uh, when AV came on board, they had that Western... They had the West Coast road trip I was up till three in the morning writing posts when the Rangers lost nine two and six nothing. I keep going back to these two games. I'm not doing that this year. 
So that's already yeah. a step in the right direction. I'm not of the late. They're not getting absolutely demolished where I'm literally sitting there writing goal breakdowns, writing WTF as the breakdown. Well, here's the interesting part about that, too. And I think it is a great question. You know, if you remember, Dave, and you know more about kind of hockey systems and tactics than I do, but AV's in-zone defensive system was was pretty complicated, and, and it was a huge departure from Tortorella. Everything <laughs> we've heard from the players, from the coach himself, from the media, is that this is a much simpler system. That Gallant, you know, basically wants his guys to play basic positional hockey, you know, sort of front of the net out. You know, Keandre Miller said in his one of his interviews, you know, they asked him what the adjustments like. He's like, I don't know, like get between my guy and the net. If I'm there, then I'm in the right spot. And like that kind of sounds silly and pedantic, but it's true, right? Like in the end, it's a pretty simple sport. And I think that's what the players do appreciate about Gallant. I do think it's given them some confidence in those late game situations, you know, in order to, um, you know, stay organized hold on to leads, keep the goaltender's job easy. I mean, you know, and another thing about, you know, protecting leads, you know, the goalies have stood on their heads early in games when the Rangers have been finding their legs. A lot of the amazing saves haven't had to happen in the third period with like 10 seconds left. You know, it hasn't been as much of a scramble. They've gotten an empty net goal this year, which is a a rare occurrence for the Rangers, as we all know. So, um, you know, to me, those are really good signs. And I actually see, you know, just, you know, back to the question here, I I see a team that's a little bit more, you know, far along already uh, than they were under AV. I think it took a good two months for everything to really take root under under Vigneault. I don't know if you have any final thoughts on that, Dave. Uh, from a system standpoint, I mean, it, it's so much simpler. And going back to what Keandre Miller was saying, if I'm in between the guy with the puck in the net, I'm in the right spot. It's a simple zone defense, strong a strong side overload collapsing to a box in the defensive zone and that's easy to pull off and the rangers also were supposed to be doing something like that under david quinn but the message never got through he didn't simplify it enough so that his guys could actually do what they're supposed to and galat excels in that area so the defensive zone coverage hasn't been bad. That That's a complete 180 from what we're seeing. The Rangers, the expected goals against is fantastic right now. It's the offense which yeah. that hasn't been producing, which is kind of weird. But aside from that strange offensive issue, I, there's, I don't think there's a big comparison other than, yeah, they're adjusting, but I think the learning curve will be much better. Absolutely. All right, final question comes from Eric Reut. Do you think something will happen 20 minutes after you release this episode of the podcast to render it completely outdated for the third week in a row? <laughs> I mean, Asshole. what could it be? I, I, I shudder to think. <laughs> um, what's it going to be? Dolan's going to sell the team? Yeah, wow. right. Uh, Dolan's, Dolan's going to get hit by a bus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, sorry hit by a bus is my yeah. the Knicks are thing. playing too well he's in he ain't taking buses either with the dough rolling in now with the Nick Nick tickets <laughs> yeah that's true uh, let's see what did we talk about so that we can see what oh the defense is. pairs we spoke about the defense right. pairs. oh they're probably gonna like wave like uh Keandre Miller instead of Libra Hyatt <laughs> ridiculous I'm right, so sorry Keandre fans like I and I am one I'm so sorry to even put that out there I mean, yeah. for all we know, they could, you know, we talked about Vladimir Tarasenko with Arthur in the interview. Yeah. 
Uh, maybe they don't trade for him. Maybe they go and drop a bomb and trade for Eichel instead, making that entire segment completely useless. Or, um, or, or Phil Kessel. Tarasenko don't, does. Don't, don't Brandon Cohen me. No, don't Brandon Cohen me with that Phil Kessel shit. All right. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, y'all, I don't see y'all, Tarasenko is still still looking for a trade as per like this morning, Tuesday morning. Crafts so. off one for one. That's fine. Do it. <laughs> I do that. Do an emergency do pod if that happens. I do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> We're doing emergency pod if that happens. Uh, all right, Dave. I had one more for you. How'd you have? How was your uh, time at the Garden on Monday night? I know you went to the game, as did I. Yeah, it was nice meeting Tyler and Carly for the first time. And, Rob, obviously always fun meeting up with you. I am disappointed that you and your dad did not take me up on buying buying you a beer. Seriously, I have many questions about that. Uh, Listen, (laughs) when you go to a game with my dad, you're not missing the puck drop. And we we had to get up to Section 416, where we've sat for a great many years now. Um, said some some said hi to some friends up there that we hadn't seen in a couple of years, um, so we we just wanted to get situated. We really do appreciate it. I mean, had you shown up on time, we might have been able to squeeze it in, but you were about fifteen minutes late. So excuse you know, me, we, we the Long had, Island Railroad. I had one. I could only catch one train. If I didn't catch that one, I wasn't getting it till the second period. All right, don't give me that shit. Not, all right, I'll come right back at you. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Listen, well, all no. I wanted to say was it was it was great to be back in the garden, that's for sure. Oh, and even yeah. though it wasn't the most electric atmosphere, a Monday night versus Calgary, um, so fun to be back. Great to see the Rangers live. Um, great to see some, like I said, friends, family. It's, it's just an awesome time. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, one of those things is we debate this stuff on Twitter that I always come back to is, you know, I was reminded why I go to games, you know, and I was with my dad and we were both kind of like little kids again. You know, you get in there and you see the ice and the music's playing and the the light show and the intros. And then the the action itself is so fast. You get the crowd was really engaged, even though, like I said, it wasn't really a packed house, a really engaged crowd. Uh, Big Igor chance. Great celebration after the, the goal to make it two to one. So really fun time. And I'm looking forward to going to more games this year for sure. One of my favorite moments from this game, and is aside from just the obvious, watching a game for the fir- in, in person for the first time in what feels like decades, uh, that celebrity f- video they do, you know, when they say, "Hey, look at these celebrities that are in," everybody in my se- my section just went, "Who the hell are they?" <laughs> yeah. And that's one of those. It's one of those stupid things. It's the interaction with the other fans that we're all just like, "Who?" are these people and how much did they get paid to sit in those seats right now? Uh, it's, <laughs> no, I know. It's, it's very uniquely Ranger fans. fan thing. I love it. I, I missed it. And I'm hoping that I can actually get back to games that aren't $200 a ticket. These have been to be free. My wife won them through work. Yeah. Well, listen, as I've said too, I think especially early in the year, the tickets are pretty cheap on the uh, secondary market. So Look, definitely get to the garden for the game. It's it's always a good time, and and this is a team that's fun to root for too. You know, they they may have some warts, they may have some issues, but they certainly uh, they they certainly are fun to watch. Um, all right, guys. Well, you know, after this little break, we will you'll hear our interview with Arthur Staple. Joining us now on live from the blue seats, he is the newly minted New York hockey columnist for the Athletic who made his entrance in grand style last week, dropping an absolute bombshell story, revealing the details behind the Vitaly Kravtsov situation. It is a real pleasure to have Arthur Staple on the show. Arthur, thanks for joining us. It's good to be here. Thanks a lot. 
So I uh, just want to start, you know, for fans who don't know you, might not be familiar with you and your background, can you kind of tell us how you came to cover hockey at The at the Athletic and kind of just what you've been up to uh, prior to that, The Athletic and then the last few seasons, obviously, you've been, you've been covering the Islanders? Yeah, I was, uh, you know, came with the, the Athletic when they started the, the New York site in February of 2018. I've been covering the Islanders for several years before that for Newsday and uh, been at Newsday for 20 years, started doing high schools and colleges, went on to do the Rangers for the illustrious 2001 to, to 2004 stretch, which uh, <laughs> provided a lot of good fodder for uh, entertainment, but not a lot of good hockey. Um, but that was kind of my first foray into covering hockey and uh, came back around to it after covering football and did the Islanders for a long, long time. Um, and yeah, you know, was happy to come on with The Athletic after such a long time on the daily newspaper grind. And it's been a real blast being with The Athletic and doing things a little bit differently and kind of going through uh, the Islanders coming from uh, nothing to a few games within a few games of the Stanley Cup final the last couple of years. And uh, and then when, you know, my esteemed colleague and, and longtime friend Rick Carpinello said he was going to hang him up, they came to me and said, we're going to try something different. So uh, it's kind of nice to get back into the into the mode of covering the Rangers and uh, doing a little bit of both, which is going to be different. And Certainly has been received in an interesting way so far. I can understand why some fans might feel a little frustrated, but uh, I think we have some good things in store. Yeah, I was actually just going to ask a little bit more about that. You know, what is the gig going to entail? Obviously, you know, you're sort of been introduced as a the New York hockey columnist, but are you going to be on the road, say, with the Rangers for a week or two, then sl- switch over to the Islanders? You know, how's it going to work and, and what can fans expect? I don't know if there's... Uh, any news you can break? I, there's, I think another staff member is going to be announced at some point soon. Uh, but yeah, just give us a sense of what to expect over the course of uh, the rest of the season. Yeah, you know, it, I think it may seem initially like we're kind of combining two teams that are super important to us. And that's, uh, you know, that's definitely temporary, even if that's the case at all. Um, it's, you know, with the Islanders on this uh, long road trip that they're starting the season on before their new arena opens, it's it's been a little bit easier to kind of toggle back and forth uh, as I as I plan to get started. I am going to do some traveling with the Rangers. I don't really know about traveling with the Islanders as we get deeper into the season. I think, uh, you know, kind of keeping my my eye on both teams means that if one's really good when we get close to playoff time or on the trade deadline, it's easier to focus on them. We are going to bring in another person to do a little bit of both as well. Um, we don't know who that person is yet, but I have high hopes for who it is. And um, you know, I just think it's kind of going to be a little bit of a different way to cover the two teams and not really kind of conflate the coverage. I think that's the most important thing. Certainly all my years of covering the Islanders has taught me one thing, which is you have to keep the two teams as separate as possible. Mentioning them <laughs> in, the sa- in the same breath is usually just a recipe for, for more arguing and fighting online, which we already have plenty of. So um, I think that part of it will be easy to do to, to, cover both teams, write distinct stories on both teams. I'm working my way up to speed with the Rangers now, and I have a lot of institutional knowledge of the Islanders over these years. So uh, I think it'll be fun. You know, it's it's a it's a new challenge for me. Um, and I think uh, a good way to adapt, I think, for our subscribers. And I think by the time we get it all settled, uh, everybody, uh, fans of both teams will be really happy. Yeah, I was going to ask with tongue firmly planted in cheek how the Islander fans are handling the news so far. 
not great, but I said that was to be expected. You know, it's uh, one thing I've learned again over the years, and I'm a guy who grew up uh, in New York as a Ranger fan way, way back when, and I worked for Stan Fischler when I was in high school, and I was his Rangers correspondent. Wow. So wow. Uh, I got I got to be around the illustrious 88, 89 Rangers, um, which was a fascinating environment, too, when I was younger. And like I said, my friend Rick was Carpinello was one of my mentors back then. He was uh, he'd already been on the beat even for a little while by then. So um, I learned a lot from him and some of the other writers that were there. But uh, I've learned over the years that uh, Islander fans, uh, you know, it's a small fan base, but it's incredibly passionate and they react to things with their hearts online, in person, everything. And that, uh, you know, it's not always something that Ranger fans want to hear, but uh, but it is a great rivalry and it's fun to see both sides of it over the years and uh so i think that to be able to to withstand some of the some of those slings and arrows that i'm getting on twitter now is uh it's it's par for the course and i don't really mind it too much yeah they're definitely passionate uh this just reminded me and it's actually a good segue into some of the crowdsoft questions that we wanted to talk about uh there was a game Last season, Rangers Islanders and Kravtsov scored, but Oliver Wallstrom had a solid game as well. And I had a little fun at Islander fans' expenses saying Kravtsov looked great in the game, but Wallstrom looked invisible because he didn't, you know, he didn't have any points in that game. And Islander fans came after me. And it was really, I found it to be hilarious because that's what I was going for, but they're definitely passionate. And uh, I hope you're ready for that from the Rangers fan standpoint because there's certainly a new level of, uh, I'm just going to stick with the word passionate here. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. It's a good word too when it comes to a a fan base, especially an online fan base. I think I'm going to use that more often. Um, But onto that Kravtsov thing. are there any updates there? Is, is there anything in the relationship that they think can be repaired? What's the latest on it? I mean, I'm sure it can be repaired with enough phone calls. But, uh, you know, to my view and just talking to people that I talked to for the story, and that was, you know, a week ago can be a long, a week goes by, it could be a long time in a situation like that. But it seems like as I talked to people and heard more and more about how far back this, this, you know, difficulty between Chris jury and the player um, went, it seemed like this was sort of the culmination of it rather than something that could be repaired again. And, 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 you know, it, it can definitely change, uh, especially if Kraftsov maybe gets some advice that, that might be a little bit more uh, constructive for him if he really does want to play in the NHL, because, um, whatever has gone on between him and Chris Drury, whatever his view is of whether he can be a top six or a top nine regular with the Rangers or some other team, there's no way to solve it by not being here. And uh, I think that's the bottom line right now is whatever's gone on. You know, if, if Kravtsov is upset with Drury, if he feels he's been singled out, if he feels, uh, you know, slighted in any way because of their history, uh, none of it matters now because they're not just going to trade him for nothing. There's not going to be a lot of other GMs that want to want to bring in a guy, even as one as talented as he is, who just has refused to play for a team. And, you know, that may sound unfair, but that's the way it works. And uh, I'd be curious to see as it goes on a little bit more, whether him skating on his own or with a, with a trainer or whatever in Russia 
will somehow break this impasse because it doesn't seem like it will. And, you know, and, and the Rangers have all the leverage here as teams usually do with younger players. Um, and even the trade, you know, the, the Leas Anderson trade, which turned out to be a pretty positive one, wasn't a huge return and it was pretty widely panned at the time, but uh, that's about the best you're going to do. And if the Rangers don't feel like that's enough, then not much is going to change. Yeah. And, this is this whole thing is interesting to me because the relationship has been damaged as far back as his first trip over right before covid going to shut everything down and it just there are pieces that just don't make sense to me because it we get the impression that Drury believed Kravtsov was going to be a key roster player this season despite everything that had gone down between him and Kravtsov is that an accurate assumption that I'm making here? Well, you know, there was certainly enough that had gone on between the two of them that, uh, that if Kravtsov had asked for a trade before even coming to camp this year, knowing that the jury was the GM now, and maybe he expected a trade to come during the summer when, when jury ascended to the top job, because, you know, just based on their interactions previously, he probably figured this is a guy who doesn't want me around, but given that you're not just going to dump a guy like that off again for nothing. Uh, and he certainly hadn't shown a whole lot yet uh, in his time in North America. Um, I imagine the commitment was made to, to keep him and see what he could do. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's certainly debatable whether he earned himself a roster spot. What's not debatable is that if he'd gone to Hartford, even if he'd asked for a, a trade and tried to facilitate that behind the scenes with his agent and with Chris Drury uh, within a week, he would have been back. And, and a lot of this could have been very different. So, um, you know, uh, that part of it is is a little bit confusing, I guess, on both sides because of because of how difficult their relationship was before jury became GM. But um, but yeah, it, it's just hard to it's hard to see it changing right now. And it's hard you know, to imagine that he's gone home. And, uh, you know, I understand Gerard Gallant called to try to bring him back. Maybe there's other people who reached out to him, whether it's one of the one of the other Russian players who's friends with him, but uh, even if he were to come back, I, I, it's hard to see where they'd want to plug him right in, especially coming off a pretty decent road trip. You know, whether whatever would be happening in the in the season at the time they bring him back, um, there's a lot of atonement that needs to be made on the player side, and um, it just doesn't seem like that's going to be a thing that's that's going to happen in the immediate future. So this this thing, you know, with with some stubborn people dug in on both sides um you know unless things really fall apart for the rangers and injuries you know are crippling their top six uh it's just just doesn't seem like a fixable scenario right now it's funny you mentioned the injuries because the rangers were without two top six forwards basically right out of the gate and if kravtsov just did what they asked him to do and just go down for a week for to get his legs back under him after that preseason injury he'd be back by now and there's definitely a lot of fault in Kravtsov here. I don't want anybody listening to this to think otherwise. There's huge fault with Kravtsov and just saying, hey, maybe we can rebuild. And if I want to have a long NHL career, I have to tough this one out because I am under contract. And that's on him. And whether or not he comes back is going to be up to him. I just... I'm focusing on Drury here because as the GM of the Rangers, it seems he would have been able to read the tea leaves on Kravtsov a little bit and had some kind of backup plan 
for this kind of blowing up in his face, especially after they knew they were going to send him down. Uh, was there any sense that there was a backup plan for Kravtsov leaving, or were they firmly in the all-eggs-in-the-Kravtsov basket for top-nine role out of camp? I, I get the sense there was some surprise. You know, he doesn't, there's no more out clause. That was only for the first year of his contract, uh, which he exercised, even though that was a, a source of friction back uh, at the beginning of the 1920 season. So I think him coming here, them not trading, well, first, them not trading him probably said, okay, you're going to be part of things. And him coming here for camp with an open mind, uh, you would think that that would send the signal as a new coach. He's a new GM, even one with the history that they that the two of them have had. Um, you would think it's a fair shake, and and he seemed to did seem to get a fair shake. You know, it, Gerard Gallant um, seems like a coach who values uh, some of his depth veterans a little bit more over some skilled young guys who aren't quite established in the top six or top nine. Um, and that you know, and the injury obviously hurt Kraft's off a little bit. So I think there was there wasn't a there wasn't really a, a, a sense that he would just pick up and leave, uh, even if there was a trade request. You know, you still you still got to be a good soldier. That's part of being a guy uh, who's you know under contract, especially on an entry level deal. Um, a lot can go wrong if you pick up and leave, and I think you know we saw a lot can go wrong here. That, as you mentioned, you know Strom being out, Capocacco being out, an opportunity for him to. Even if he didn't feel like sticking around and he was fed up with the Rangers, you come up and you play your butt off and you never know what can happen because then at least you're you're in front of some eyeballs. So um, right now he's he's out of sight and probably out of mind, not just for the Rangers, but for a lot of teams. Yeah, and that's an unfortunate bit that, unfortunately, we're seeing play out for a second time now, first with, you know, Leah Anderson and now with Kravtsov. Uh, you kind of segued right into my last question, which was, have you heard of any interest in Krasov beyond people just kicking the tires? And how are the Rangers going to address their lack of depth at right wing if they don't have Krasov in the fold anymore? I'd imagine there's a decent amount of interest in him. It, you know, I don't know if it gets to the point of negotiating, but I can't imagine any team is looking for to give up anything significant. We're not, you know, I, I'd imagine that if you're talking to, a, you know, a Seattle or a Buffalo or probably not an Arizona, but, you know, a team that's maybe off to a bit of a surprising start or a team that has uh, a little bit of a lack of that kind of player, young, under control, potential top nine forward. Um, the conversation has got to start with a first round pick as far as the Rangers are concerned. Maybe it starts with a decent young prospect. If you're saying, you know, Chicago would be willing to swap Dylan Strome for him. I imagine that Chris Jerry laughs and hangs up the phone there. And especially with all the other nonsense that's going on in Chicago right now, maybe that's not even a conversation that's worth having because they, you know, they have a lot of other important things to deal with. But, um, you know, it just, it feels like right now it's more of a, we'll give you our problem for your problem. And that's not where the Rangers are thinking. Um, that may change as the season goes on, but, uh, but for now, uh, I think that really limits who you're going to deal with. You know, it's, uh, it, it's hard to pick out a team and certainly haven't heard about anybody that's really interested in him. I kind of wonder, and they're certainly off to a great start and a lot of their young guys, their young depth forwards are playing well, but a team like St. Louis, you know, they, they made the trade for Buchnevich, who's, very close with Kravtsov. 
if they had a need, you know, if they had managed to pull off a Tarasenko deal and they were suddenly, you know, a little bit thin at the wing in terms of their top six or top nine, maybe that's the place you could see. But I think we're still at the stage, or at least we were a week ago, where um, people are just inquiring as opposed to really talking legitimate offers. You know, you actually mentioned Tarasenko, which that's somebody that I think is at some point going to wind up with the Rangers, but that's just me throwing things at a wall and seeing what's going to stick. So, Arthur, I just um, I wanted to take this away from Kravtsov now. Um, I think we've just kind of talked to him at, about him ad nauseum, but that piece he wrote was really fantastic. Um, as far as just kind of like the metro goes and like the broader state of the Metropolitan Division, what do you um, how do you see the state of the rivalry now in terms of its intensity between the Rangers and the Islanders? Do you think that the Rangers or I'm sorry, do you think that the Islanders are perceiving the Rangers as a big threat or vice versa? Like, how do you see it having covering both having covered both teams? You know, it's it's going to be really interesting to see them play each other. I kind of wish it was, you know, we were going into last season, given how the Rangers reacted to being pushed around by the Islanders towards the end of last season and, and a lot mm-hmm. of the changes that they made as a result. I wish that they were playing each other eight times as opposed to four because you'd really see some of that intensity ratchet up, I think. Um, you know, I, and I, I think, you know, I was at the garden last night uh, for the first time in a while and, and just watching the Rangers and hearing what, uh, what Gallant said afterwards and said today about how you have to really, you know, play a, a mature style. You have to be physical. You know, Calgary's a physical team. There's lots of other physical teams. There's plenty in the Metro, too. The Islanders, obviously, are chief among them. Um, mm-hmm. And the Rangers just can't be a team that gets pushed out of their game. And they, you know, they made a lot of mistakes that really, you know, were self-inflicted last night. But, you know, against the Islanders, it's an easy thing to get pushed out of your game um, by them. And it's not, we're not just talking, you know, the, the fourth line or some of their, their heavyweight guys. It's it, what makes the Islanders so unique is a lot of their top six guys are, are heavy, heavy guys, and they play the same style shift after shift. They've obviously got varying levels of skill, but it's not as stark a divide as it is with the Rangers. And I think, you know, in all of the changes that the Rangers made and bringing in a coach who, who does appreciate that style of play, you still have to be able to have it every shift. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's not just about, you know, putting guys through the wall. It's just a, it's just a tenacity that I think in watching the Rangers a little bit as much as I can this season and in past seasons, it's the thing that's been missing the most. And it's not just about is Ryan Reeves going to challenge Matt Martin to a fight um, or are those kinds of obvious things going to happen? It's, you know, when Mika Zibanejad and his line or Ryan Strom and Artemi Panarin are out there, are they going to, you know, be as relentless as the, as the Islanders are because Mm -hmm. that's relentlessness is what has become the Islanders hallmark. Um, so, you know, I, I'm interested to see, and, and when they do play, you know, in a, in a little bit around a month or so, um, it'll be interesting to see where both teams are. You know, I don't think the Islanders have really found their game yet, even though they've managed to steal a few points. And Rangers kind of in the same boat uh, with Shesterkin playing so well on the road trip and getting just enough goals to win. Mm-hmm. That's a very that's a very Islander style of, of piling up points early in the season. Um but when they go head to head, I think uh, you know it, it'll get overheated. It'll get wild. They all there's always one or two games that are completely bonkers between these two teams. No matter how many times they play <laughs> yeah. each other in a season, that just sort of don't fit the mold of how both teams play. But um, 
but I am yeah. curious to see how the how the Rangers kind of settle in with this, you know, what kind of was roundly criticized during the offseason of trying to get heavier in their in their bottom six, trying to bring in guys that'll kind of, uh, you know, a Barry, a great Barry Trotzism is bring the other guys into the fight. And and you want everybody to be able to do that. The Islanders have that, you know, and a guy like Anders Lee, who happens to also be their captain and one of their top scorers. The Rangers need to have that from their top guys. And, I, you know, I, Ryan Strom was an Islander for a little while many years ago, and I'm sure he understands it maybe better than some of his teammates that that this is a team that uh, that really, you know, it, when it's at its best, it's a four-line, you know, 3D pair team, and they don't really waver from that. And the Rangers are not quite there, and that's not really Gallant style, but I'm curious to see once they get into the heavy divisional portion of their schedule, uh, whether they can be that kind of team, because I think that's the way to succeed over the long run. Yeah, no. And that, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you brought up Trotz because I mean, Trotz teams, I, I think he's a fantastic coach, even though he is the opposition at this point and he is the enemy, but I think he's a great coach. And actually we had a question from one of our Twitter followers, um, Calor Commentary, who asked this question and it really, I think, fits in here. Uh, what are some of the differences between the two teams in terms of how they operate behind the scenes, like what's their culture in the front office for the Islanders compared to the Rangers that you can disclose, of course. I mean, it's hard to know because Lou Lamarillo um, even keeps uh, contracts that he's already agreed to a secret as we, as <laughs> I think everybody saw over yeah. the summer, uh, yep. <laughs> which is not the easiest way for a reporter to operate, but you have to accept it when it, when it involves Lou. And I hear lots of, uh, you know, unhappy unhappiness from agents from other executives that he's allowed to operate this way but the league seems to be okay with it so we all the rest of us have to be okay with it but uh it is a very uh you know it's a very loose centric front office he he makes all the decisions um he decides when information should be released um he's very insistent on on his people not talking to anybody even sometimes other, you know, some of their colleagues and other teams. Um, so it's, you know, it's definitely been an experience with that. And I think uh, since Chris Drury has taken over, I'm sure that that's a model that he's tried to emulate where you have one person um, who's fully in charge and makes a lot of the decisions from very small things to uh, more important things, trades, draft picks, things like that. Um, but there's only one Lou. And that, and that I think is uh, a lot of GMs have discovered that lose attention to detail, especially at his age, just turned 79 last week. Um, it's second to none. And he's been doing it a long time. And, uh, you know, even the people around him on his own staff who, who try to emulate him usually fall short because his, his real mantra is no distractions. That's the most important thing for him, whether it's media stuff or family stuff or, you know, getting rid of the broadcasters and the radio people from the, from the team charter, which in the age of COVID is a little bit different, but he's always had that policy. Mm -hmm. um, he is 100% focused on making sure the, the team, that, me that means coaches and players have nothing to hold them back from succeeding. Uh, and sometimes it can seem a little petty or ridiculous, but he definitely does not care. So yeah. Like the facial hair. <laughs> Facial hair, you know, seeing teams, you know, dropping their, their suit and tie dress codes on game days, that will never happen on a Lou Lamarillo team. Um, mm -hmm. 
much as some other much as some other players would love to have that change up there's a lot of there's a lot of fashion plates on the islanders that would love to do something other than wear a suit every day but not going to change so i don't yeah. think people kind of bother with it and i think given the state of the islanders um you know under the previous regime which you know garth snow was a you know was a close friend of lou lamarillo's when they were rival gms and tried to do things in a very similar way but they just didn't have the budget and they didn't have the kind of the the broader vision that lou has uh to make them a highly competitive team uh and i think that kind of relaxes your standards a little bit um you know, and when it comes to the when it comes to the Rangers and Chris Juria, I'm sure you can try to do that, but it's a big organization. You know, the Garden is a huge entity. Uh, the owner is obviously a huge presence on a daily basis, and Lou Lamarillo would not have would not have taken the Islander job if the if the owners wanted to have a say in anything that went on in the day to day. So it's it's fundamentally yeah. different from from the get go there. Absolutely. All right. Well, I mean, that's super interesting insight, and um, I think. We're just going to kind of leave this off with the last question and, you know, no pressure at all. But who is who's the best team in the Metro and who makes the playoffs this year out of our division? I mean, I uh, we've had the benefit of a few games, at least, and I probably would go go back in my word to say it's Carolina. But I did have, you know, I think before the season started, I probably had I think I had Islanders, Philly, Carolina were the top three. And I had the Rangers at four because my predictions are usually terrible. (laughs) <laughs> one and number two if it takes me more than five minutes to put them together i kind of put it down and, and go back to it because uh, as much as the fans love it and kind of want to point back to the predictions when the season ends they're you know it's not really yeah. part of the job that i that i care about a whole lot but i would very much <laughs> even even if i were still just covering the islanders the idea of an islander ranger playoff series in the era of twitter and social media would be the, the greatest thing of all time because the the, the arguments the the debates um you know it's just hockey is more fun league-wide when both teams are good and it's happened so rarely over the over the last 30 or 35 years that i think we've kind of forgotten the era um you know when i was a kid uh growing up 10 blocks from the garden when i was kind of a ranger fan but not really that that into hockey when the islanders would just stomp on them every year on the way to the stanley cup and what that meant to the rangers and then Mm -hmm. getting their revenge in 94 and being the better team for a little while and then both of them falling off the map for a decent amount of time um it's it's just it makes it a lot more fun there's so many ranger fans out on the island who go to games out there and there's as everybody knows it's kind of one of those well-kept secrets around the league that there's always a ton of islander fans at the garden uh, yeah. for Islander Ranger games yes, and, it, and it really juices the place up it always it has for many years even when the Islanders were terrible those games were always fun to be at at the Garden when there was a decent contingent of Islander fans so um, to have that in a playoff atmosphere would be unmatched I think in this in this kind of modern technolo- technological era so I'm hoping for that uh, I'll probably go back in my word a little bit and say uh, you know, Carolina seems to be the kind of team that has figured out how to be a successful regular season team, whether mm-hmm. they can do it in the playoffs with the goaltending they have or, you know, an owner that doesn't seem to like to sit still for more than five seconds. That's <laughs> kind of remains to be seen. Um, I never really count out an, uh, an L.A. and Vigneault coach team, especially coming off of what they came off last year. Like he's a guy who gets his teams to the playoffs. So I, I feel like Philly's going to be there, too. The Islanders, you know, they've become a machine and uh, it's probably hard for a lot of Ranger fans to accept, but uh, they are another team that has learned how to get in. Maybe they won't finish first this year like a lot of people felt they would, um, 
but I think they'll be there. And I really think that, you know, the last spot or maybe the last two spots, depending on what happens in the, in the other division, Rangers, Washington, uh, Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh is ridiculous. They're, they're like the devils in the two, the early 2010s where you just said, how can they win with this lineup? And they managed to keep <laughs> doing it. So, um, I think it's going to be a fun season. You know, I, I really do wish that there were more divisional games. Uh, I don't know that all divisional games are great, but, uh, maybe one or two more to really, really keep the interest and and highlight how important those games are at any time when they play a divisional game it just feels like taking away from that is uh, is not the way you want to go especially when you're trying to welcome fans back in after what we've all been through the last couple of years so yeah. um you know and even columbus is really off to a good start i don't think they can sustain it but uh but it's it's a competitive division and uh you know i think the rangers can be right there i think they they sort of accidentally hit on a template to, for success, not against a lot of great teams uh, on the road trip, but you win enough two, one, three, one games. I think you start to believe that, that when games are tight late, that you can win them, uh, whether you have to rely on your goalie or get a, you know, a timely goal from someone you might not expect. Um, it, it just, it's a belief and it's infectious. And I, like I said, I've seen it happen with an Islander team that didn't have any belief in itself after the 17-18 season and you look where they've come in such a short space of time so it can be done yeah Um, and i'm interested to see if the rangers can do it because that will go a long way towards accelerating their their rebuild and finally putting all that that talk behind them and uh legitimizing chris jury as the the gm and validating some of the moves that he made this offseason and uh and really making new york a much more exciting place for hockey for the fans of both teams great stuff Arthur Staple from The Athletic. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on to do the show uh, and come back anytime. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Live from the Blue Seats is a production of Blue Seat Blogs. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We're currently available on iTunes and Spotify. If you can spare a minute, please leave us a rating and a review as it helps other fans find the show. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Seats Live and check out blueseatblogs.com the longest-running fan site for all things Rangers, from news and opinion to video analysis and more. For Dave and Becky, this is Rob signing off. We'll see you next week.